Thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for the day and for the word of your saints in front of us, Lord. We'd ask that you would help us pick up the pieces that we need to to guide our lives. In your son's name, amen. Okay, as you can see in your sermon notes, we're in James 3. Really, I wanted to be in James 4, the first 10 or so verses. But I wanted to put the last of James 3 in there. And it's, it's one of those passages I refer to a lot. Um, both James 3 and James 4 passage. And so I know that I've been in conversations with some of you with this coming up. And you go, oh, I recognize it. You also, if you've been here and you remember a sermon two years ago, I, this is the, I went through most of this passage about a couple two years ago last so I apologize if that's too frequent. Um, but as you go and look at the same passages again and again, you notice this happens in your own Bible study. Things that you thought you knew, you get a benefit from in a different way because you're going through a different issue. I think the last time I preached through it, I was concerned about the nature of Christian leadership, which it's largely about, it's got that bit in James 3 about the tongue generally referring to the people who were the teachers of the church and concerned with, here's the top verse on the sheet, who is wise and understanding among you? Because you as parishioners need to be able to go out there in the Christian world and find not only the anointing from God which is leading you in your own mental growth, but if you're in the company of the saints you don't want to be sitting under teachers who are causing more damage than good. <coughs> but I kind of was looking at the passage not in terms of, not to exclude the nature of teachers, but in many ways it's the nature of our, um, all of us. It's the nature of our society. Um, and it's not the nature of society because it's the modern. It's not because people have cell phones um, or we're literate or too many movies. Uh, it's for people. And I want to have you be, you know, structure your own efforts against sin with structure that you know what you're doing. You're not just, you know, please Jesus, don't let me be a complete poop today. You know, we are just grace all the time, forgiveness on one side, that kind of grace, and grace for the strength that you don't understand nor do you attend to. You just ask God to get you through it. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But passages like this, I don't notice if you notice this about passages that tell you what to be like, but they are telling you what to be like. Okay, that's a little obvious, but sometimes we forget when it's telling us what to be like. It's telling us what to be like. And as you know, I'm not a law-oriented person. You, um, as, as uh, the years have worn on, I have become even less law-oriented. But there's a lot of descriptions in an imperative tone in the New Testament. Well, I believe it is imperatively telling you what a Christian is described as being. 
What you are supposed to be is supposed to be the description that you have. If somebody says, oh yeah, that's Evan. He is like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's what he's like. It's supposed to be a description of what's going on in your life. And because it's not a description of what goes on in our lives, we fill up our Christian life with everything but the description of the Holy Spirit. Everything but love. It's amazing. I, I, I've mentioned this time and again, but it was a, a, a kind of a, an epiphany for me many, many years ago in college. And I was studying the, um, the interregnum, uh, which is the period between the kings, Charles I, Charles II, Oliver Cromwell, time of John, um, John Bunyan, writing Pilgrim's Progress, a, a very religious time and a very violent time. And you had two Christian armies, both of them Protestant, not even the good grace to be fighting a Catholic, both Protestant armies, one um, Anglican and one Presbyterian, shooting cannons at each other and Christian soldiers being blown to smithereens by one Christian army shooting at the other one. And I remember reading, because I, I get find myself in places like this, Oliver Cromwell's dispatches to Parliament as he was going into war against these characters. And he let the Parliament know that the Covenanters' um, uh, battle cry was the Covenant. And our battle cry was Lord of Hosts. Well, that's nice. Can't tell the players without a program. Um, that was just normal. And I don't want it to be normal. People say, do you think it could happen today? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, so fast? Because we are not, we weren't in the 1600s, and we weren't in the 400s, and we aren't now looking at what the apostles and the Lord's, this is the Lord's brother, James, not one of the apostles, but he's uh, the brother of Jesus Christ, and he's writing to us, telling us what we should be looking for and striving for. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good life, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This wisdom is not such as comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, devilish. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, without uncertainty or insincerity. You have to ask, where has there ever been a church meeting where conflicting ideas were being broached between parties and a denomination where that was the description. Pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits without uncertainty or insincerity. I'm willing to bet never. 
And it's not because we didn't know, because the apostle uh, uh, advice to us throughout the scriptures is to do and be these things. The harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now, it goes back to the beginning. I want you to focus in on one aspect of this. It's not the only aspect, but just one. It tells you that the problem is in finding um, what are they called today in, in youth speak? Influencers, right? People who are out around the internets being influencers. If you're going to be an influencer, which James calls wise and understanding, it says, let him show his works by his good life, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. The meekness of wisdom. We got a problem. Because usually when you have any excellence, rise in quality, you have rise in um, arrogance or conceit, pride. You don't get meekness as from the person who is the luminous person. The picture on the back of the book they published it just gets bigger and bigger. And they become more and more entranced by the need to get other people to go with their idea rather than the other person's idea because there is bitter jealousy. You hate it when the other person succeeds. You hate it. And you want to succeed yourself. You have selfish ambition. And you don't want to see the other guy succeed. So you better fight it out. And by the time the weekend is done, you've already got a cannon in your lawn ready to you know, lob a six-inch you know, six shell into your neighbor's front window because of selfish ambition and bitter jealousy. But these are not the kind of... You know, the reason I tell you about the 1600s, Interregnum. And I like some of these people. You know, I probably could have enjoyed chatting with Cromwell. But I probably could have enjoyed chatting with Charles I. You know, uh, whatever the... I don't think they would have let me chart with either one. But um, it was not the greatest Christian time. Okay? People look at the 1600s in England and go, what a glorious time for the church. It was the worst time in history for Christians. Because you know why? Christians were in charge. And they hadn't gotten this worked out. That who is wise in understanding its meekness of wisdom up against bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Now, the more I thought about this recently, because this has a lot to do with what how you deal. This is not just pastors and teachers fighting with other pastors and teachers. It's Christians not getting along with Christians. And of course the answer is humility, right? Take on humility. But you're finding it hard to figure out, you know, because I'm, I don't know if you knew, I'm, I'm pretty right about oopa, everything. So I'm stuck with that. I get up in the morning and say, you know, Evan, once again, the sun has come up and you are right. And a lot of people are walking around the world being wrong, not agreeing with Evan Wilson. 
It's a rough, a rough calling. But I figured Jesus had to deal with it, right? Son of God, on earth, tempted in every manner, yet without sin, got it all right, knew what was going on. And yet he managed to be humble. Being right doesn't make you difficult. Being a bastard makes you difficult. Being right is what Jesus calls you to. Figure out what's right. Figure out that Jesus Christ is Lord. Bow the knee. Figure out your view of the gifts of the Spirit, end times. I don't care what you want to figure out. But get the right view. But nowhere in that lineup, given that Jesus Christ was right, and Jesus Christ gave us an example by giving up his equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Humility is the path. Because bitter jealousy and selfish ambition are the opposite of the humility. I'm about me, selfish, putting me, getting me ahead, because selfish ambition, I want to have Evan succeed in every way. And I hate it when anyone else succeeds in any way. So that's the bitter jealousy. Selfish ambition is me getting ahead. Everything that isn't humility. Oh, we can describe humility pretty well. And we know that every disorder and every vile practice, this is a devilish world that the Christians create when they create one that is moved by ambition. Now you say, Evan, is God against ambition? Look, if you invented the best widget ever, whatever widgets are, and you say, I'm going to make a company out of this. I'm going to go online, get this service through Amazon. Ambition, right? Make something out of the product. God bless you. But we're talking about, I mean, there's still ways to be evil doing that, of course, loving money too much or whatever. But we have a task here in front of us about the wisdom and understanding about our faith. Who is wise and understanding among you? Who should you be looking to? I had a counseling situation this week where I was being asked, not a person that was in our company of, of believers, going to a different church where they liked some of the leadership and didn't like all of the leadership and didn't want to, you know, says examine the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. Uh, uh, you're supposed to submit to those who have watch over your souls, let them do this, not by constraint, but willingly. You're, you're, but they were having a hard time figuring out whether they wanted to join this church. You never have to ask that of yourselves here, isn't it great? You don't have to join, don't even figure out. There's no way to join. But we know that we're making these decisions all the time, and the big concern was, do I tie my lot to people that I don't think represent Jesus Christ very well? This is where it matters. If we're trying to represent Jesus Christ in the teaching role, or just you on the street, talking to your friends, talking to your fellow Christians, you want people to have the right view of what you represent. And it's not going to be having the best argument, the best apologetic, against them. Now, I got some great arguments. But you better give them humbly. Because 
The wisdom has a meekness to it. The wisdom is the right answer without a certain spice. And what is that spice? Not just the absence of selfish ambition and, and uh, bitter jealousy. What's the spice that, that humility has? Humility has conquered. We were talking about boys and girls the other day in the library because we, at the big house, <clears throat> I don't know if this is a problem, we have guys come over. Single guys, New St. Andrews students, all sorts of people, but guys. Occasionally a woman will wander through, she'll be married. All these single guys. We were talking about their problems. And, uh, oh, what usually comes up when we talk about this is, uh, the Tao of Steve, and the first point of the Tao of Steve is deny desire. This is for the guy. Do not desire. Don't communicate you desire. Do not desire. Now, how does that play into this? When you recognize someone who has got the wisdom capabilities or is offering something, who doesn't have their success as their, their cause, that they succeed at getting you to agree with them. When they don't need you to affirm them, they're not living for their advancement connected with this wisdom. It could be somebody else's wisdom and they'd be happy about it because it's not about their passions being rewarded. What, what the basic spice is of, um, you might say, the presence or absence of humility has to do with your relationship to your passions. This, uh, you have to understand what's going on. And, and, I was talking to another guy, another counseling situation, where this was a, a victory that really desperately needed to be had. It's not like you say, I know the word humility, and I'm being told to be that way, and I want to be, but I, I just don't even know what it is. I'm trying to tell you what the real point of decision is. You don't have to agree, but... Like when I say all peace is the result of order and all order is the result of governance. You don't have to agree with that, but think about it for a while. You realize if I govern this, I bring order. If I bring order, I bring peace. The kind of order, the kind of peace. If I'm looking for humility, I need to eliminate passion. Just like if you want to inspire a young lady to love you devotedly, you need to deny desire. We have desires in life, don't we? A lot of them. Uh, flying on a beach, drinking a coronavirus, um, eating onion rings, going to Hawaii. What else do people do? Sit in their leather chair in their library, argue with other people, smoke cigars, 
We have desires. We have passions. Have you ever seen bacon so perfectly cooked that you found like you were Pavlov's dog and you were, your mouth was filling with saliva? You felt so primitive, so, so animalistic. You know what desire is. You know what passion is. Do you understand that you not having a grip on your passions keeps you from being here, pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, without uncertainty and insincerity. Now, you've heard me say this before about passion. I like passion. Who's, who, what's the dislike about it? I mean, it's desirable. It's almost like synonymous with. The problem is where I put it, how I define it, and why does passion make humility so hard? Because passion is what you feel. And it's what you want for you. Okay? I had an itch. I think somewhere on my back last night. Oh, man. I wanted to scratch that. Leslie was performing. It was my back. You say, oh, I had an itch too. I don't care if you had an itch. I had an itch. It's amazing your whole world can focus down to a moment that says, your itch had better get scratched. There could be countless thousands of itches in this world on people who are more deserving than you, but that's your itch, and it better be scratched. I asked this a few Sundays ago. Some of you get that hangry business. Or just that kind of panic when you don't have enough food. You always keep a Snickers bar in your purse because you're that kind of person where your passions are too much for you. Passion is about you. It is about what you want. And everything in the world, if you're a passionate person, needs to be piled up at ready disposal so that you have Snickers bars in every pocket ready for deployment. That your sexuality, that your eating, that your rewards of people admiring you because the pride of life is one of the passions. Beauty of the eyes, you've got to be surrounded with your dumb phone all the time playing you music you want to hear. Your phone wants to play music you want to hear. Because you want to hear it? Spotify's out there trying to figure out what it is you want to listen to. Throw you another one. Throw you another bones. You're going to have your little wireless earbuds. You don't have, you'd have to have the lack of pleasure of having two thin pieces of wire running down to the magic box in your pocket. Because you are being discommoded when your passions are not being answered. How do you hope to be humble? when everything about your life is about you getting rewarded. Next verse, verse four, 1 of chapter 4. What causes wars? Ah, oh, like the interregnum. And what causes fightings among you? Is it not your passions? Oh, if... Is it not your passions that are at war in your members? 
You desire and do not have, so you kill. You don't want a picture. We have it so easy. We go to Costco, we get a case of water and plastic bottles. We have what? <laughs> Buying. I feel silly. I buy about four cases of water at Costco for the price of eight bucks, maybe. Nine bucks. Two something per case. We go through about four cases in the library at the big house. Guests don't want to get off their rear end because that wouldn't be passionately satisfying and walk into the kitchen and get a glass out of the cupboard and hold it into this magical metal tube that comes out of the wall and puts water in the glass. Willing to pay two dollars something for 48 bottles. You realize what would happen to your neighbors if they were the only ones that had water coming into their house? And you were getting thirsty? Not just hangry, thirsty. And you could see through the windows of their house because of course they keep their windows open. And there is their stupid adolescent son drinking a big glass of water right out of his tap. Nothing works anymore. It's sludgy water, but it's still water because this is a dystopian future. How long before you kill him? Because you might not have water, but you do have a few rounds for your 30-06 and a scope. Or a few people that are on your side that are willing to say, if we take him out, we can have his water and split it up between our families. And then fight off those who would like to take it from us, because that's what happens when it's road warrior time. It's not crazy. It's what we would do. You desire and do not have, so you kill. And you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and wage war. Of course, your world is filled with earthly, unspiritual, devilish things, disorder in every vile practice, because everybody's putting themselves first. Because they're living by passion. Passion, by definition, is about you. Humility, by definition, is about not you. And all you have to do, you've heard me quote C.S. Lewis on this before, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. The problem is, passion keeps reminding you that you're there and you want something. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. The description, the description of the wise and understanding, purity, peace, gentle, correctable by true authority, I put that in for open to reason, looking for the mercy, full of mercy, whereas you're not just trying to always apply the rules, but looking for ways to be merciful. A quality of life. You're sure, that's uncertainty. You're sure of what you believe, and you're not fake. You're not insincere. That's the life you, that's the description of the person who has the meekness of wisdom. Because that's all overturned and fought over as you think the best way of getting at stuff 
or anyone thinks that we're getting at stuff, is if they follow their urges. They think that passion is an inertial force they should follow, and it's saying right here in John, James 4, 1 through 4, that your desire, your coveting, your having, your awful motives, all of them are following an inertial force that serves you, yourself, and not your God. You, yourself, not your love for anyone else. Unfaithful creatures, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? A word that we don't often use, enmity. You are not, you and God are going through the rough patch. You don't like each other. The world is here to encourage you because the only thing they have, frankly. Look at, spend a day in front of the TV set with a notepad and write down the various urge that each of the ads is serving. Desperation about fading beauty. Desperation about who knows what. That's what the world is about. It's all they've got. They've got they don't have any inertial force of anything else. We are Christians. Where we're supposed to be, the description of a Christian is someone for whom service has, has become that of God. God is going to give you your needs. He promises that. I don't have to think about it. I serve God's will. If you wish to make yourself a friend of the world, you're going to be an enemy of, the, of, of God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is in vain that the scripture says, I want to be perfectly honest, and I don't know how to answer this. I don't mean to give you any sort of homework. This next verse that James quotes isn't in the Bible. Okay? It is in vain that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit which he's made to dwell in us. Now that sentiment is certainly in the Bible. He's not quoting a verse. But it sounds like he's quoting a verse, so deal with it. Figure it out. That God is jealous over the spirit in us because we are letting the spirit of the world take over the direction of what we do. The spirit in us that says, you know, Evan's got to get to the front of the line is the big spirit, not the spirit that says, love your neighbor. The spirit that says, love your neighbor is the spirit of Christ. It's trying to say, that's the spirit I made to dwell within you. Why are you acting this way? Why are you shooting cannons at those people who love Jesus Christ like you do? Remember that it doesn't just make you treasonous to the kingdom of heaven. Because remember it says earthly, unspiritual, devilish, disorder, every vile practice, friendship with the world. That's your treason. You have turned against the living God. You have decided, I'm going to dress up all these things in Christian terms, live them out in the church, so that the church will approve of the kind of nastiness I have become. You might not be saying, I'm going to do this just 
like um, with the same wording that the world does. But uh, it doesn't just make us on the other side. It makes God against us. When he yearns jealously over the spirit that he made to dwell within you, then, but he gives more grace, therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So God has, it's not just where, where did you wander, and where did you end up not behaving the way you should. God actually turns against you. I love that line in that hideous strength where Jane, the unbeliever, realizes that God is reaching down his hand into the world to make and to even destroy. That's the, the nature of what we have with the God. He is making, he is creating, and he is destroying. And we can't just say, oh, I happen to be I'm kind of at odds. I made some mistakes and I put myself on the wrong side. He is now against me. He opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. If we don't figure this out, none of what Christianity is about is going to make any improvement in us. It has this last bit. Now, I just broke this apart. I put first seven set apart, the first half of it, and ten set apart because it seemed like it bracketed this little list. Because it says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Verse 10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Sort of like a, a, a parallelism with some, a sandwich between it of, of advice. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you men of double mind. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to dejection. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. You've got to pick your sides. You've got to say, what well, this... Uh, yeah, I understand. Okay. Um, humility is the task I'm after. Evan says that humility is tied to your degree of passion you have cultivated in your life because that's all about self-reward and it will create a, a mindset that I am about me and only me and I can only award me in my passions. And if I confess that, if I cleanse my hands, if I purify my heart, if I realize what I have done, when it talks about be wretched and mourning and weeping, your laughter and your joy getting flipped on their head because, remember, you were pursuing your passion. You were getting rewarded. And life was kind of pretty much, we're living in an affluent first world situation. We have indoor plumbing and we have friends and we have places to go shop and, and stuff. And so you can be happy a lot of the time and you can think that it's Christian happiness because, of course, we're going to rewrite the Christian definitions to be about what we're doing even though what I'm doing is merely enjoying the good things that come to my passions we need to realize how far this humbling must take us that if I'm serving my passions if I'm being made happy by my passions being awarded 
When push comes to shove, when I don't get what I want, when there is something to be jealous of or something that I don't have, I will kill. Maybe just emotionally. Maybe just break up the church. Maybe just cause someone to never have a night of peace again because I am just not going to forgive or I'm not going to love or I'm not going to... That's why we have to be wretched, mourn, and weep because we really do have this thing boxed up rather nicely. Christians serving their passions in such a way they can name it all Christian virtues and then they don't ever have to repent. But it comes down to it. We don't play well with others. Christians have given a very bad name to Jesus Christ because of the way they've been. If we want disorder in every vile practice, that's what we'll do. Remember, the end result is that you be exalted. This is not Christianity a la monastic deprivation where, oh no, I thought I could sing, or I thought I could do this, I thought I, hi there, um, I, I thought I could uh, um, uh, be the best at this, or whatever it is you think well of yourself in. And the Christian isn't saying, no, I couldn't. You might be the best at that thing. God bless you, if you are. What is... We are trying to find a path to exaltation at the hand of God. Not, again, it's not the absence of exaltation. You're supposed to be honored. If you're good at something, it is right that your spouse say, hey, you were good at that. It's right that your friends would say, hey, you deserve a trophy. That's called honor. We're supposed to outdo one another in showing honor. But our exaltation is not the award of the passionate souls. We should not be in the business of serving the passions in one another. We still give honor. But the exaltation we are being called to is through our humility before the Lord. I'm not going to go check somebody. Are you passionate about that? Before I say anything nice about your painting, are you really, you know, really into this compliment if I'm going to give it to you? No, you don't have that kind of police action. But realize that this problem is not a matter of doing something, doing something well, being honored for something well. God wants to honor you. He wants to exalt you. He exalted Jesus Christ after he gave himself up for us. Being lifted up is tremendous. Being about you in it, you being about you, is the problem. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for the humility of your son, what he gave up to die for us. We'd ask that you would give us meditation on this. Turn our hearts to humility and meekness, sureness, joy, and service to one another. In your son's name, amen.